R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Find out what it means to me. If you just sang along, congrats. You know at least one song by legendary Aretha Franklin. But a few people know a lot about her life, which was full of mysteries. The biopic Respect lifted the curtain of secrecy around the Queen of Soul. Jennifer Hudson beautifully portrayed the main character and guided the viewers through the life of the late star. Yet, there are some moments in the movie which don't correspond to reality. Born in Memphis, Tennessee, she was the fourth of five kids in a seriously talented family. Her dad was a Baptist preacher and her mom was a gospel singer. When she was little, her mom sadly passed away and her dad's job took the family to Detroit, Michigan, where Aretha's star began to shine. At 12, Aretha got her first son and the second one followed two years later. Unlike in the movie, where it happens earlier. Both of the sons had Aretha's last name as the persona of their father remained a mystery. Franklin was a true musical prodigy. She taught herself to play the piano and at the age of 14 she was already performing in front of her father's congregation and recorded some of her earliest tracks, kickstarting her epic musical journey. Her recordings were released by a small label as an album in 1956. At the age of 18, Aretha got her father's blessing to switch to secular music and move to New York to follow a musical career. And that's another example where the movie slightly parts with reality. Although her contract with Columbia Records in 1960 became a turning point in her career, it wasn't the first professional recording for the star in the making. Her debut single was a beautiful rendition of Never Grow Old. She would come back to it several times in her career, and it was chosen as the closing track for the album Amazing Grace. One of the memorable scenes in the movie is Dinah Washington, played by Mary J. Blige. Flips a table after Franklin sang one of Washington's famous songs, Unforgettable, at a nightclub. The two divas weren't exactly best friends, but Aretha wasn't the target of Dinah's anger in real life. It was another rising star, Etta James, who had the guts to sing one of Dinah's songs to her face. Back in the day, Miss D was like family, showing up at Aretha's dad's parties in Detroit. But at one of Aretha's early shows in Detroit, Washington went backstage to criticize the mess in Franklin's messing room. Aretha didn't like it, to say the least, and thought of Dinah as a diva acting out. The movie is accurate when it comes to Aretha meeting her future husband, Ted White, at one of her father's house parties. But in reality, it happened when Franklin was just a teenager and not on the eve of her Columbia Records deal in 1960. Their relationship began a year later, the same year Aretha released her first album. They got married after several months and Ted became her manager. The movie shows producer Jerry Wexler announcing Aretha, Queen of Soul, at one of her concerts for the first time. In real life, Aretha owed that title to a couple of DJs from Chicago. One of them pulled off a surprise Queen of Soul coronation at a concert. They even crowned her with a bejeweled crown fit for royalty. Aretha loved her new title, and it soon went viral. Later in the film, Franklin refuses to perform the song that later became a real hit because of her beliefs. Let It Be was sent to her by the Beatles themselves, offering to record it first. It took over a year in reality to convince Franklin to record the song. She warmed up to the song when she found out that Mother Mary was Paul McCartney's late mom. 
Still, Aretha chose another Beatles cover to release as a single, so the British band did it before her, and it forever went down in history as theirs. The culmination of the biopic is Aretha's father's emotional pep talk he gives her before recording the Amazing Grace live set. Franklin had completely forgotten to invite her father until the very last minute, but he still had some kind words for her on the second day of the concert. Some facts from the star's life weren't shown inaccurately in the biopic, but they deserve to be known. In 2006, the Super Bowl was coming to Detroit. The NFL decided to shake things up and went for the Rolling Stones and not a local singer for the halftime show. Many people disapproved of the decision, and the Queen of Soul was one of them. To make things right, the NFL invited Aretha to join forces with Aaron Neville to sing the national anthem, a Super Bowl first for her. She remembered it as an ultra-special honor. She'd be invited to perform at the legendary game day before, but she had to refuse to do it because of her fear of flying. The star developed it in the 1980s, after going through some severe turbulence in a small two-engine plane from Atlanta back home to Detroit. Ever since, she chose to get to concerts and other events by land. Franklin even took a fearless flyers class but never finished it, so her aviophobia stayed with her. During her life, the Queen of Soul has won 18 Grammy Awards out of 44 nominations. She became the first woman to be featured in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. She lent her majestic voice to legendary events like Dr. Martin Luther King's memorial service and Barack Obama's 2009 inauguration and her civil rights work earned her the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2005. And NASA even named an asteroid after her in 2014. Her songs remain popular even after her passing away, but they aren't the only reason Aretha is mentioned in the media. When she passed away in 2018, there was no official will to be found, so everyone believed she hadn't prepared one, and it was unclear who'd inherit roughly $6 million in real estate, cash, gold records and furs, or her music copyrights. Nine months later, Aretha's niece Sabrina Owens, who was taking care of the estate back then, found two sets of handwritten papers. One, dated June 2010, was in a locked desk drawer next to record contracts and other papers. Another version, dated March 2014, was in a spiral notebook with Franklin's doodles, hiding under the couch cushions. Different states have different laws on handwritten wills. In California and Michigan, a typewritten will is valid if it has signatures from two witnesses. In Florida, a handwritten will must be made in the presence of a witness. So, if the star had passed away there, all her wealth would have been distributed between her children in equal shares. Six jurors in Pontiac had the daunting task of deciding which will was legit. At the heart of the dispute were her four children, squabbling over what they'd inherit. The newer will meant three sons would split the music royalties and bank funds, while the youngest son, Kaikaf, Ke'alf, and his kids would get the $1.2 million mansion. But the older will was a whole other story. It required Kikaf and another son, Edward, to first get a degree to earn their share. The two sons agreed that the newer document annulled the older version, but their half-brother, Ted White, didn't like that. Kikaf had an argument in their support. Their mother always did business on the couch. Ted, who preferred the option where he gets the bigger piece, argued that his mother would have left a more conventional will. 
it would be hiding under a lock rather than under the cushions. After two days of a trial, a Michigan jury ruled that the 2014 document found in the couch was valid. Despite the fact that it didn't end in his favor, Kecaf Franklin told the journalists that he was happy that a nearly five-year legal squabble had finally come to an end. He also mentioned he loves his brother Ted with all his heart. That's it for today. So hey, if you pacified your curiosity, then give the video a like and share it with your friends. Or if you want more, just click on these videos and stay on the bright side.